You're listening to the Country Chat Podcast with your host, Dom. Subscribe, give a five-star rating, and follow us on Twitter at country underscore chat. And stay up to date. Hi there, you listen to the Country Chat Podcast with me, Dom. Today I'm going back over stateside. I'm going to Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm going to be speaking to Will Overman. Hi, Will. Hey, Dom. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a uh, it's a rainy day here in Charlottesville, so I've been in my sweatpants all day, and I threw in some pants for this, made a cup of coffee, and and here we go. See, the great thing with these Zoom, we're we're talking via Zoom at the moment, and the great thing is I can only see the top half, so you could be wearing whatever you want on the bottom half. I mean, I've seen videos of people on like Facebook, and they've been doing these conference calls with like people at work, and they're just not wearing anything. That's one of the silver linings, I think, of 2020. You could be butt ass naked on Zoom and you're still, you know, getting work done. All you, all you need is like a shirt and a tie, and then you're ready for business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'd, I'll probably get this bit out of the way now because we've been through the majority of the year now. We're in November, and we've been through this pandemic the coronavirus and we've talked about it till we're black and blue everybody's probably sick to death of hearing about it but it affects everybody differently and I still like to know how it's affected individuals how has it actually affected you as a musician um it's pretty much disrupted every aspect of my life um yeah it's changed everything so I guess the best way to explain it is to kind of go back in time uh to March when my spring tour started um like actually actually let's go back 2019 2019 was kind of like my get my shit together a year in preparation for 2020 year uh finally got a great manager had a great band lined up bought a new tour van just everything was kind of rolling and um recorded an album set to release it fall of, of this year um had a ton of dates on the books i mean i was going to be gone for a good portion of the year. So March gets, gets to us and, um, my band and I, we hit the road and we get like five dates in and all of a sudden the sky falls. Yeah. And basically the United States shut down while we were on the road, which was wild. We were like, we were just bumping around the South playing, you know, dive bars and, you know, some just, great classic venues but doing the damn thing living the dream living the dream exactly and seemingly the world was falling down around us it was so bizarre like it it felt like we were in air force one and like the zombie apocalypse (laughs) was going on underneath us because we were just you know we're having a great time we were we were playing shows we were hungover but loving it and and all of a sudden the nba canceled and the united states closes borders and we're like okay i guess this is actually real we should probably go home and and you know cancel the show tomorrow night that we were going to make $200 on. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much much where live music stopped for me for the year was in early March. And I would have never, ever have expected that. Um, cause I think like a lot of people, when stuff shut down, the optimist in me was like, well, you know, maybe April tour yeah. will happen. And then April came and I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe June's going to happen. And then the summer came and I was like, well, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe July. Fingers crossed. Please, please, please. Maybe July. And then July came and I was like, yeah, right. Well, let's bat down the hatches. It's going to be a long year. Um, 
so that was pretty much the end of live music for me. Um, and then I quickly realized that I needed to pivot a ton because I wasn't going to make any money from playing live shows. So, um, I kind of looked out and got into sync writing for commercials and like television ads. Oh, cool. And which was great. And I, I've done that throughout the year, um, via zoom sessions. Yeah. So it's been like this really cool, like 2020 take on co-writing. Um, and it's forced me to write, you know, in a very pop leaning direction, which has been a blast. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a writer that, I mean, you've probably heard some of my stuff where like, I, I just am very, I like to be very poetic. Um, yeah. I can get very in my head. I'm, I'm a self-indulgent songwriter. And, um, to do the writing that I've been doing this year, that's very pop leaning has been so much fun. Because yeah. It's just, it's just a different style. Um, so anyways, long story short, I've been doing a lot of that type of writing. Um, and then just scheming with my manager on how the hell we're going to release a record um, during a pandemic. Yeah. Which takes a lot of time and thought because there's there's no you know manual for how to do that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of been my year. I mean, it, it definitely, it changed everything. And then my day job, I worked for a, a, a film production company and that shut down too. So all of a sudden oh. I had a lot of time on my hands. That must be... That must be so frustrating, though, because not only you can't just perform music, but you can't actually go to your day jobs. But I was, we did a thing here in the UK called furlough scheme. So if you okay. couldn't work because of social distancing and stuff, if you wasn't deemed necessary, you could be furloughed. And what the yeah. government did is they paid us eighty percent of our wage, so we'd still got something in. Did you have okay. like that kind of thing in America? We had the stimulus checks there, so they were supposed to come in. It was twelve hundred dollars. They were supposed to come in, I believe, in April. I got mine a month ago. Um, <gasps> no, so that was that was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. The um, I will say the state and federal government did get their their act together and help and help out a lot of people through the CARES Act. So we did have it was just unemployment. Yeah, but they that was rolling in, which was great. Um, because without that, it would have been it would have been rough. Luckily, with the sink. And ad writing, that was that's helped a ton. Um, and I'm so fortunate to have that artistically and financially. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was weird. I mean, there was that period, I'm sure, for you too, where it was like, was money going to come from anywhere? Exactly. Like, like what's going to happen here? thing is, it, it, it affects your mental health really strongly because you're worrying, you know, how are you going to pay the bills? You know, you're worrying if debt collectors are going to come to your door and start taking your stuff away because you can't meet just normal bills such as like council tax we have to pay like council tax here where the uh council comes and empties like the bins it pays for like certain areas and oh, like yeah. the you know around your local say village or town mm-hmm. uh, if we don't pay that we can go to jail wow so you know you, you're worrying about that constantly now there's certain people like car finance schemes where they've said okay then we can put you on a holiday for a couple of months say you don't have to pay this but it'd be added at the end of your finance term Gotcha. So, you know, there's been things like that, but it still doesn't stop. You know, that niggling little thought at the back of your head thinking, mm-hmm. what happens if I, you know, what happens if I can't pay? You know, am I on the street? You know, can I feed my family? Can I, you know, am I going to eat tonight? You know, it, it's, and it's affected so many people. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely identify with all of that. I mean, my wife and I, we bought our first house in January. Yeah. And I bought a uh, new, like I said, not new, but a, a newer tour van in January. 
And this was like, this was the year. Like we were like, all right, here we go. Let's, let's do this thing. We accrued all this debt and then the pandemic hit. So there was that, that period where it was like, holy shit, I do not know what we're going to do. Um, but luckily, you know, I pivoted. She's been able to stay at her job. Um, she's a, uh, a chef in town and that's kept going, which is great. Yeah. So like there's, there are a lot of silver linings, which this year I've, I've definitely leaned on to get through it. Um, so it's not all, it's not, not all doom and gloom, at least in our lives, but yeah, it's just been a lot of like, I never thought at 27 that I'd be like shifting as much as I have been. Now, before we actually get into your new track, well, your new track that came out on the 2nd of October, Little yeah. Things. Before we actually get into that, I want there's a couple of things I want to pick up from that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go into the tar van first then. Tell me okay. more about this tar van. I'm intrigued. Oh, the tour van? Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you want, you want to know the details? I want, want to know, know the, the color. I want to know the color, <laughs> the make, you know, what was it like actually okay. going to say, okay, then... We're at this stage now as a band where we actually do need to get a van. Yeah. So my my, t- <laughs> my tour van journey begins before then. Um, <laughs> so I, I used to have a, a, um, a Ford Econoline 15 passenger, just the classic yeah. tour van, just a tin can on wheels. It was white, had like, had like 216,000 miles when I bought it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> So I had that van, and I toured with a band for a while, called just called Will Overman Band, um, before I, I quote-unquote went solo. And we put a bunch of miles on it and toured together for quite a few years. And then towards the end of that band, I kind of had like a breakup with music. This was, this was like 2017. Yeah. And I had just been shouldering a ton with this band. I I was a songwriter. I was the, you know, I was kind of backing things financially. I was booking things. I was managing, I was doing, I was just doing a lot and felt like I wasn't really getting the representation that I, that I wanted. Yeah. Um, Everyone in the band kind of felt burnt out and they didn't feel like they were getting the, um, I guess they didn't feel like they were getting the representation that they wanted as well. So that band broke up. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. And my wife and I, we had planned this big trip to go travel and work throughout Europe after college. And um, during that trip, I kind of was like, man, I'm just really not enjoying music right now. Yeah. Like, I, it's very much so it feels like a job. And that sucks because I did not get into this because I wanted to make a bunch of money. I did it because I love it. Exactly. And so I kind of took a step back from music um, and did the solo thing for a little while long story short, took a step back, took some space from it in that interim. I was like, God damn, I miss music so much <laughs> and kind of found my, my way back to it. And ha- it was like this necessary break from it where I like took space and was like, Oh my God, it's such a part of who I am. I got to make music, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, got to the point of where I was in 2019, where I was firing things back up, had this great manager, this great booking agent. And that's when I bought this van. Yeah. So I went to this van. Uh, it's a Chevy, had a Ford, so I switched camps. Ooh. Uh, it's dark green, which I like. That's a good thing and a bad thing. The nice yeah. thing about the white tour van is that you can keep some stuff in it in the yeah. summertime, and it's not going to melt. Yep. 
the dark green, not so much. <laughs> um, it is a 2007, but I only bought it with 40,000 miles on it. So Not bad. That's not bad. And it's a 12-passenger. So it's a little tighter, but it's amazing how much easier it is to drive a 12-passenger versus a 15. That, so. what, what's like the weight of the... Obviously, you can't tell me the exact weight of the van, but you know what kind of like size are we talking? I know 12 and 15, but... Terms of like, do you do you have like transit vans? Yeah, 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 yeah. We do. So, what's the best comparison? So the twelve passenger, which I have, is like a, a small minibus. A small minibus. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, because it's not it's not the huge transit van. It's yeah. not like the Mercedes Sprinters that are like I could live in that and be happy. Yeah, they're like oh, a small definitely. version. Oh my god, they're like a small version of that. Um as far as weight, there's, like, nothing to them. Really? Like, a, a tour van is, like, it's kind of like, you know how you feel in a plane sometimes, and you're like, this just feels like it's, like, a tin can with, like, some wings on the side of it, and we're yeah. just, like, somehow flying through the sky? That's a tour van. It's just, like, a, it's just a cylinder. <laughs> just a shell the driving. It, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, if you treat it well, that they should run forever. Do you, but, you know. Do you do all your, like, servicing on the van yourself, or do you send it in no, somewhere i'm not i'm not that cool i wish i was that skilled oh it's not it's not too hard to do um simple things like oil changes i need i that's a, a life goal of mine is i need to start learning how to do that stuff and be more self-sufficient great thing is youtube you learn everything from youtube oh dude i that's i'm on youtube like five times a day learning how to just live life other thing i want to talk about before the main thing i want to talk about is yeah. You've moved into your first uh, you moved into a house with your wife. That's so sweet. Yeah. yeah, man. It's it's been great. We um so we live out in this place called Crozet, which is like a little um a little kind of mountain sleeper community for Charlottesville. It's like twenty five minutes away, but it's tucked up in the mountains, small town living. And um we love it out here, man. We're we're big hikers. Um I like to fish. We got a crazy dog, so we're kinda tucked out here and it's quiet and we've got town down the road. So yeah, it's been it's been a journey buying our house. I've had a few things break and we're like, Man, I really wish I could call the landlord and yeah. complain about this. <laughs> <laughs> but we are the landlord. That that must be so is this your first house that you've actually physically bought from like renting before? Yeah. Yeah. That must be so exhilarating in the sense of you know, where you just feel like you feel like you're an adult. I mean, I'm still renting, so you know, I don't have this luxury yet where I can say this house actually belongs to me. You know, I've I've still got to pay somebody else just to live in here. And there's always the worry, like, you know, could they just turn up one day and just say, all right, then off you pop. Right. Whereas they yeah. can't, you can't do that with you now. No, it's 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 kind of surreal. I mean, because we, we did the renting thing for a long time and there was a period there where we were moving like every year. Yeah. Because she got a job down in North Carolina and then we did this trip and then... You know, we were in college, so we've been bopping around for a while. So it's been not only surreal to be like, this is ours. We can put holes in the wall. We don't have to tell anybody we're going to do it. Um, but then also just to, like, be stationary for for this amount of time so far has been, like, not weird. It's just been kind of like I'm kicking myself because I feel, feel so lucky. Like, I got my little studio here, and I got a piano to my left. And, you know, it's nice to have my little vocal booth behind me. It's just, yeah. It's been such a little gift, especially during COVID. 
to have a space like this and to let our dog, you know, go nuts in the yard has been unreal. When you was looking for a new house then, was you looking specifically for like a studio room and place to, where you could have your own special area, your little man cave? Kind of, you know, it's like this selfish thing that I've realized for musicians is we have so much shit. Yes. That like our partners are inevitably, they have to sacrifice something. Like every place my wife and I have lived, we always had to get like two bedroom. Yeah. Because I had so much shit or I needed a practice room or something. And yeah, so we did have to consider that for a house. And like, I almost, I almost feel badly because it's like, I just totally commandeered this room. Like I just, I just, just like, and, and my, my wife's not mad about it, but it's just like, yeah, all my stuff's going to go in there. When you walk, <laughs> when you walk around the house for the first time, you're like, okay, then this is the master bedroom. This is, could be where the kids could go in the future, but this is for my babies. This is for my, this is my gear. Yeah, my guitars will go in here. Exactly. Exactly. This is where they're going to grow up and age with gracefully. And... <laughs> Are you talking about our kids? No, 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 no. My guitars. So, now, have you always lived in Charlottesville? I haven't. So, actually, I grew up on the coast. Um, I grew up about three hours east of here in Virginia Beach. Oh. So, I was a beach kid. Um, and I moved to Charlottesville back in 2013 i came here for so i went to vermont for a semester of college yeah um did not do well and came down to charlottesville um kind of for equal parts school and the music scene yeah more so for music um and then graduated from the university of virginia and then my wife and i just she grew up here um so we just we love the area we're familiar with it it's got a for a small town, it's got a great music scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I've been here for like seven and a half years now, something like that. So you went to Vermont for college, but then for just one semester? Yeah, I graduated high school in 2012, and I deferred my fall semester, and I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so I did that in the fall. Then I went to college right after that. And yeah, I just sucked. I sucked at college. It was so bad. It was like a weird transition from hiking in the woods for six months by myself. It was way too cold up there. Yeah. And uh, I just did not do well academically. What What did you, What were you studying? What was I studying? Like a whole lot of... That's the problem you can't remember. Nothing. Yeah. I like. I had such a weird preconceived notion of college. Like I, I came out of high school and was like, man, I guess once you go to college, you can just pick whatever the hell you want to study and just do this and that and bop around. And I got there after like, I think the freedom of literally being in the woods for six months, coupled with like having to, you know, get like 13 credits and go to this class here and do that and do these yeah. mandatory things. I just, I did not handle it well. Um, so yeah, I think that's the problem is that I'm like, what did I study during that <laughs> semester? Just complete blank space of time throughout your life. Just this block of six months where it's just like, huh? Yeah, of just being cold and confused and uh, knowing that I was doing very poorly in college and knowing that I was spending way too much money. What did you do at university then? What's that? What did you do at university? So when I came to Charlottesville, um, I graduated uh, from the University of Virginia with a degree in sociology sociology yeah so you could yeah. be you'll be you'll be reading my um 
actions and the way I'm talking now and thinking, okay, Absolutely. then. So I know this guy without I'm him even knowing. Every every human pattern that I'm seeing right now, absolutely. Awesome. Do you, do you yeah. ever find that you ever do that whenever you're talking to somebody, you know, even if on the street? Um, You know, not really. Like, I've I've been asked about my major a couple times and, like, why I chose it. And um, First off, I didn't love college. I was never somebody who, like, was just thrilled by the prospect of it. Um, I always kind of fought the system. And I was touring through college, so, like, I knew what I wanted to do, and I had always felt that it didn't coincide with going to school yeah. at all. Um, but I also realized how fortunate I was to be able to go to college, and I'm, you know, a big fan of of learning and challenging myself as much as I can. So I picked sociology in part because it was it kind of tied into songwriting. Like I'm, I, I'm always drawn to people and their stories and why they do things and why do I do things, and um, sociology is pretty much that just on a grand scale. So I do find that it does tie into, you know, what I do and and who I am on a daily basis. Now, before we actually started, you know, chatting here, we was talking outside the show and we were talking about podcasts. Now you've got your own podcast similar to what I do here. Do you find that doing your sociology degree major ties in with that? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. Maybe it, maybe it does subconsciously. Um, but I think, I think performing and the podcast tie together more so than my yeah. academic background. Um, I mean, I, I say that because when you just, when you just describe that, you know, you like to view how people view things and see life and see the world. That's pretty much how I view this podcast because I like the way I like to find out the way people live their lives and, you know, how they've gone about their experiences and got from A to B, you know, their life progression to get to where they are. And it's very much a sociological thing. Yeah. I mean, now that you're pointing it out, I think there are definitely more correlations than I realized. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's been college in general for me. Like it's, I think in, in general, I'm the type of person that doesn't realize something until I'm well past it and looking back on it. Yeah. And and I've definitely felt that with college, where I'm like, you know, I bitched about it the entire time I was there. And As now we do. Out, as we do, yeah. Now that I've been out for years, I'm like, oh, well, that definitely shaped me into who I am now. Thank you, college. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Hindsight's always a great thing. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Now, what I want to go into is the last thing before the single. Okay. Writing for commercials. Doing all the writing that you've done. Like what commercials? Like how did that actually, you know, pan out? You know, how did you get the gig and what happened with that? Yeah. So I wrote specifically for Fox Entertainment. um, And I have a, uh, a family member who works there and has a connection and was kind enough to get me in touch with their music department. Um, and I had I had reached out to him last fall, and I was just busy, kind of like just kind of let it fall to the wayside. I had like sent them a song idea, nothing really came of it. Um, but long story short, we kind of got the conversation going again um, early this year, and they were doing things virtually. Yeah, and like they're they're LA based, obviously, but they were doing things virtually. So I was able to join in, 
just the same as everyone else. And um, we started doing these like three person co writing groups. Yeah. And it just it was it was great, man. I kind of like I I went after it, um, knowing I was green to the process because I actually had never done co writing prior to that. Yeah. I've always wanted to so badly, um, and knew this year that I would kind of be making that step, regardless of of the uh, the sync writing. But that really helped push me in that direction. So, anyways, I I just kind of jumped in really green, acknowledged that I was green to it, um, and had the opportunity to write with just some total badass writers. Yeah, we've been doing it for a long time, and who were kind enough to recognize that like I was new to it, and like didn't hold my hand, but showed me so much. Like I've gained more as a writer in the past twelve months than I have in like the past six years. Wow. Really? Yeah, just yeah, because just because it was so, a, it was challenging, and I, I always grow the most when I'm being challenged. Um, and B it was just it was just different. Like I was telling you earlier, it was a lot of it was writing within, uh, you know, kind of the under the under the umbrella of pop, yeah, or pop rock, um, because that's what sells. For, that's what sells, and that's what fits these commercials, and it's fast, and it's snappy, and it's choppy, and it's got to be edited too, and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's a different formula than I'm used to writing within, and it just forced my brain to go places I've never even thought about going. And and just to write differently. That's what was so cool about it. Is like I've gotten I've gotten into the production side of things now, whereas yeah. before it was just like every time I was like, okay, I'm gonna grab my guitar, I'm gonna sit down with my notepad, and we'll go from there. And this was much more like, okay, John over here has an idea. We're going to create the the production and the beats underneath it and then write to the beat. Or like so-and-so has got a chorus and we'll build the song out from there. Whereas sometimes I start top down in a song. Yeah. Or I will, I'll consider the beat at the end of the song. And this flipped that on its head. And it was, it was just, I don't know, it was so much fun. Like I, every time I'd finish one of these sessions, I'd just be like, beaming because a we'd have a we'd have a result and it's always awesome to start something finish it look back on it and be like yeah that's badass awesome yeah we did that and it was just i don't know it was like a little kid i was like giddy it must must be great though because i know when people do like co-writes you know for you know irregardless of what genre it is but when you're sitting down with somebody to say okay i'm gonna get this song done everybody writes slightly differently you know, some people yeah. start with the chorus and some people start with the, you know, top verse or the bridge or they've got a melody in the head already, but they can't get it out. You know, it's it must be strange in a way as well to just completely have your world upside down and say, OK, then this is what you're doing. This is how we're going to do it. Have fun. Yeah, it, it was strange, but it was kind of. It's like the theme of the year. Yeah. You know, like everything's just been like, well, here we go because we have to. Um, so I didn't really have time to ever think about like, oh man, I'm, I'm so nervous. Like, I I hope this works out well. Like I, I was nervous going into that when I first started doing these sessions, but I just never really had time to think about it. I just did it and was like, you know what? I'm going to learn as much as I humanly, humanly can. I'm going to be respectful and acknowledge that these people are more talented and more experienced than I am. Um, and at the end, end of the day, I just wanted to come out with, with growth and, and you know results that would that would work for these ad placements as well 
now when it comes to your <clears throat> your actual music do you find that working within these you know the commercial side do you find that's now influenced the way that your music individually sounds not just the way you're writing but the whole feel and the tempo to it yeah you know i haven't really fleshed that out um in studio yet but i do know it's 100 percent impact in my writing yeah and not like for people listening to this it's not like i'm gonna be writing the next <laughs> ariana grande hit i wish no but- no I'm just going to stop you there because I was talking with a friend who works as a artist manager. She works for a company called Scarlet River Management. Her name's Rachel Selleck. And I was just, I was describing your kind of sound and I've got your website up now. And what I was saying to her is the exact same as what's on your website. You've got a John Mayer sound Mm. and John Mayer is such a fantastic, you know, songwriter and a musician. And yeah, you're almost not spitting image because you've got your own flair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you say, you know, you won't be able to write an Ario, you know, Ariana Grande hit, but in your own way, you have. I love your right. music. You know, I I could, I happily, I'm glad I've finished work now. I can actually sit down tonight and I could just put your music on and have a glass of whiskey and just relax now for the weekend because today's my last day at work. I've got two days off of the CMA so I can watch the CMAs nice. tonight. Nice. So, um, but I'm looking forward to just relaxing with some of your music. Dude, well, thanks, man. No, I, I, I really appreciate that because I, um, I've always kind of struggled um, between being like a self-proclaimed Americana artist, um, but always having that undertone of of a very pop influenced John Mayer sound. Because I'm, you know, I'm not a through and through country artist. Yeah, at all, and like Americana, is so it's so convoluted now, and that's great. I, like that's kind of why I love Americana because it's just it's vast. Um, but I love that John Mayer sound, and my music has been over the years moving towards more of a pop. I don't even know how you'd say it, but it's it's just it's getting poppier, and yeah. that's okay, and that's okay to me. Um, so I'm I'm glad you pointed that John Mayer thing out because I a, <coughs> love John Mayer. Yeah. Um and B some of the production on this album had a lot of John Mayer's um gravity continuum as a whole in yep. mind. I mean, I remember listening to the Bobby Bones show, I think like 2 or 3 years ago now and they were talking um it's when Bobby was dating Lindsay L and they went to go meet John Mayer and they were basically saying, you know, John can still be classed as a country artist because of the way he writes his songs, it has that storytelling element. Mhm. And it's even got, you know, part of that sound. Now, when you've got, you know, your new track, Little Things, Little Things does have that country element, you know, not just in the songwriting, but in the production and the instrumentation as well within it. Yeah. Even though it's not heavily, it's not like listening to Charlie Daniels' band, you know, but no, it's got... No, but I mean, like if... It's got your flair. Yeah, I mean, if you were to if you were to take the banjo and the acoustic guitar off of Little Things and add some more synth, it'd be a pop song. Exactly. You know? You can do that with so many songs, you know, particularly in the country charts now. You know, there's just so many crossovers. It's unbelievable. It's, you know, we've got country pop, country rock country. It's like an indie country. We've got alt country. Mm -hmm. There's just, it's such a, like you were saying earlier, it's a big umbrella now with Americana. It's the same with country. And, you know, you can pretty much put a lot of songs that are in the pop charts into the country charts and vice versa. Oh, 
A thousand percent, yes. I mean, it's a cool time to be in music. I think promoters kind of hate how vast it's gotten because it's hard to package. Um, but look at somebody like Chris Stapleton. Like, yeah. Even he, with such a distinctive voice and such a distinctive, like, American country voice, even he crosses over when he's doing stuff with Justin Timberlake. You yeah. know, like, there's so much opportunity right now to just create art and I think is hard to navigate as the music industry has gotten for folks that are kind of on my tier. The flip side of that is that you can kind of do whatever the hell you want to do right now. Exactly. You don't have to fit into a box. I mean, Sturgill Simpson just put out a, a bluegrass record and his last album was a Grammy nominated, like pseudo pop rock, <laughs> big band record. Like, yeah, you can do whatever you want right now. I know. And his record after that one was, I don't even know what you'd call that one. It was the one that had like the anime movie, you know, yeah, synced up with it. It it's like like we were saying right at the start. You know, twenty twenty has just been so. It's been so weird. Everything is almost everything has been flipped on its head, and things people. It's like the whole live streaming at the moment. You know, everything is just done so radically differently mm-hmm. that it fits. It really fits. Yeah, and it's like the year of. Of like figuring it out, like yeah. you mentioned the live streaming, it's it's been interesting seeing how that's unfolded um, over here and kind of the circuits that I've I've been touring in, and you know people are still very much so figuring out how to do this thing. So it's like there's been a lot of I think forgiveness and understanding this year, which has been nice, and like I found a lot of that specifically within the music community. Because we're all we're all hurt and we're like, I mean, how are we going to do this? Venues are closing, and you know, we're all trying to scrape for a few dollars just to keep the you know the wheels on the bus. Um, but especially when everything started to unfold back in March, I just noticed that there was a really beautiful amount of cohesiveness in the scene. Because because music can sometimes feel a little bit competitive. Yeah. Um, even though that's that's silly because it's not like there's a finite amount of people. Exactly. You know, it's not like, oh, oh no, you took twenty fans. Now I have twenty fans less. But when everything was was coming down um, back in March, and then it carried over throughout the year, there was just a really cool uh, sense of people reaching out from from fans to people who ran venues to the artists themselves of just kind of like, hey, this sucks, and we are no one's sure how we're going to do this. But if we all support each other, it'll be a little bit easier. Exactly. I mean, saying, you know, what you just said there regarding like the 20 fans, you know, if say 20 fans of yours go to listen to somebody else, it's not like you've lost them. You know, no. what's stopping somebody listening to two artists or 40 artists or 50 artists? You know, it's like I was saying just before, you know, I'm happy to promote everybody's podcasts or radio shows or whatever. You know, I've got my own radio show on UKCountryRadio.com, but I still listen to Country Hits UK here in the UK. I still yeah. listen to like the Bobby Bones show. I've talked about everybody's podcast. I'm going to talk about yours now. It's Deep Cuts and Coffee. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And what's, what's that saying? It's, um, rising what's it a rising tide raises all ships yeah and that's that's how this stuff works exactly um but yeah anyways nice segue to deep cuts and coffee my podcast with my manager and drummer evan hunsberger (laughs) um yeah so we started deep cuts and coffee back in april part of the whole pivoting like we need content what are we going to do live streams seem to be oversaturating people's brain space um 
we didn't really see a lot of potential with doing these live stream concerts as a way to kind of fill in the gap of live shows. So yeah, Evan had always wanted to do a podcast and had this great working title of deep cuts of coffee. <laughs> um, and Evan, again, who's my manager. We've spent a lot of time getting to know each other the past year. And I think through getting to know who I am, my presence, personality and stuff, he was kind enough to kind of offer the co-host slot to me. and was like, I want to do this podcast with you. I think during the pandemic, this is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, we can get a new audience and then keep the current audience entertained. So we started this podcast and essentially we're just talking to working songwriters, people that are my level or higher than me. It doesn't matter as long as they're, you know, trying to make a living in music. Um, and then we've also talked to entrepreneurs. And like I was telling you before we started recording, you know, most musicians that are at my level have another gig. Yeah. Cause you got to have a few jobs to make this work. And, um, you know, we talked to like a buddy of ours that we played a few shows with earlier this year who owns a pie shop in addition to playing music. And so it's just our attempt to kind of pull back the curtain, show people how the sausage is made. And it's it's like the back of house viewpoint of music. Because yeah. it's, it's really cool. And I think if people, you know, can lend musicians an ear when it comes to that and how we're so DIY, you know, we're all essentially running our own business and and that, so that's basically what our podcast is about. It, those kind of like shows, you know, where you talk about the DIY artists where they have to pay, you know, they've got to have a job to pay because I don't get paid for what I do with my podcast. So I've mm-hmm. still got a full-time job as an engineer. So what I always like to do is talk about, you know, where the, an artist works, you know, because end of the day, that's what they do day to day, you know, nine to five. And then around that, they'll do the music. Yeah. But it also shows the viable how valuable merchandise is and sales and, you know, actual physical sales, because that is Mm -hmm. where a lot, especially these times where a lot of the money will come from because a lot of people aren't working and a lot of people aren't gigging. Mm -hmm. Like we were just, you know, talking about at the start and, you know, having like with the podcast, you know, the the equipment set up alone, this costs all this, you know, I'm, I never like hide what I've spent, you know, I've probably spent about a thousand one and a half thousand, two thousand on what I've got here. Oh yeah. You know, it easily adds up. And especially as a musician, when you've got things like, you know, you've got to pay for the amps, you've got to pay for the guitars, you've got to pay for X, Y, Z that breaks because things Mm -hmm. break. And, you know, it just shows how people need to really, you know, invest in an artist. You know, if you, if you love a band where you listen to them all the time, go ahead and don't just stream that album or stream that single buy that single 79p 99p 79 yeah. cents or 99 cents on apple music or you know spot uh, or google play or wherever you get your music you know it just those little pens mean a lot because it adds up for an artist yeah i'm I, yeah you just hit the nail on the head i one of the positives i try and focus on this year is that i i hope people come out of it with a better understanding of of what it means to be a working musician and what it takes to bring them the music that they just click play on, on their phone and get to listen to whenever they want for $10 a month. Um, I think we've gotten so accustomed and you know, we've all heard that, heard this argument so many times, but it's true. Like we've all gotten so accustomed to music just being there. Yeah. We're going to get it. Artists will throw it at us. We'll listen to it. Great. Cool. Thanks artists. We appreciate it. <laughs> 
I don't think people have any idea about what it costs to be a musician. Yeah. It is a business. It is like we're not just we're not just doing this because we love it. I mean, I I love it. That's why I'm doing it. But I also, you know, got a family. I got a house. I got I got endeavors and and overhead that I've got to meet. And a lot goes into it. So like we just recorded two Christmas singles. It costs $2,000. Yeah. When all's all's over $2,000 when all is said and done. And that's kind of the going rate right now for a song. It's like if you want to do it well and hire the right people and pay for the right post-production on it yeah, and and go through all the avenues that you have to go through to get your song out there to the world, it's going to cost about a grand a song. And to recoup those expenses through streaming takes a stupid amount of streams. Yes. I mean, Spotify is roughly 0.003 of a cent per song play. The joke. It's, it's silly. It's, oh, it makes it's, me feel it's sick. Silly. And I, and I have a lot of opinions on that, too. But like you were saying, the way we make that back, those margins are made touring and by selling merch. Like, okay, spent $2,000 on these songs. Hopefully, the traffic from those songs sends listeners to my other songs. And it, it, it builds more streams, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, I gain new fans. My follower account goes up on Spotify, blah, blah, blah. That's all great. But when there's no touring... You're not turning any of that into hard ticket sales. You're yeah. not turning in any of that into hard merch sales. So it's just the the margin's gone. Yeah. And that's where I think musicians right now and venues too, like at, at this point in November of 2020, are like not sputtering, but are just like like damn, like it, there's no there's no remedy to this right now. Yeah. So I I really hope that coming out of this, once we're all vaccinated and all that fun stuff. And we can go back to shows. People do realize, okay, shit, I love this band. Yeah. They can't keep doing this if it's not economically viable. So I'm going to go to their show. I'm going to bring a few friends. We're all going to buy tickets. We're going to buy a bunch of beer so the venue's happy. And we're going to all buy t-shirts. Exactly. And a vinyl. And because it's as simple as that. It's, it's a very simple economic process for bands to to continue doing what they do. Exactly. Plus, with the vinyls and stuff that you can buy on a show, you know, if you go to a gig... Eight times, nine times out of ten, you'll be there. You can sign it for them. You know, it adds that extra mm-hmm. little bit of sentimental value, you know, that bit of a fan engagement. And whereas, you know, if you just listen to a stream, you know, everybody's listened to that stream. You know, whereas if you yeah. go and buy something, it's a bit more physical, it's a bit more personal. And that's where, you know, that's a sad thing with where the music industry has gone at the moment. And the other thing I want to bring up as well, what you mentioned right at the start was just before the actual, like, where you decided to go home, you, you, was about, you had to drop a $200 gig you was going to get paid $200. But let me just make that clear for everybody. That's $200, but then you've still got to pay the people that's going with you, the band. It's got to be split amongst mm-hmm. everybody. So you may come across, you know, you may walk away with $20, $30. And that's, if that's if you're lucky. Yeah, so that, I mean, actually, that was, I was hyperbolizing that. So the way that tour actually worked out, which provides, will hopefully provide a little more insight, is that, we had, I think we played four dates before COVID canceled everything. Yeah. And we had kind of flown those dates, um, knowing they'd be small paying gigs, knowing that our anchor gigs, that was a Friday, Saturday show, uh, would be the money makers. Yeah. And that's how you plan a tour. You know, you got the shit gigs that pay a couple hundred bucks, and you got the gigs that are at real shows where you have a contract and everything. And I think these shows were paying us, you know, let's say they're both paying us 1200 each night. Yeah, and those shows 
we had budgeted to allow me to pay for my tour musicians um, and all the other overhead expenses. And then those shows got canceled. So yeah. essentially, we just went on tour and for these crap gigs that for these pay crap nothing. Gigs, they pay nothing. So, but yeah, no, I mean, what you're saying, that's it's it, it's like. Let me point out as well. Let me point out when we say crap gigs, we don't mean the actual gig themselves are crap. We mean that the total value of the money and just the positioning of the week, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, The the best gigs are always at a weekend because everybody's out there to party and, you know, it's a bit more of a livelier atmosphere. But every gig's fantastic. I'll just I'll just say that. Absolutely. I would be lying if I said I've if I didn't say I've had never had a bad gig. But um, oh, yeah, no. (laughs) But yeah, no. Yeah, what what you're saying, Dom, as far as the crap gigs or like the Monday night in some rando market where just inevitably no one's coming out. Yeah, it's Monday night. I don't go out on Monday nights. <laughs> like, so they yep. they just happen. Um, so, anyways, I guess to 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 button this up, it's the the margins are so tight and and just so funky in music that I that I hope people realize coming out of this that i need to do more than pay for spotify because spotify is making a shit ton more than the artist is making on spotify it's so i said earlier it's sickening you know how i mean don't get me wrong i understand how businesses work and they've got to use people in that sense you know to generate revenue through advertising and you know, just general sales in that sense, you know, you, they've got people yeah. got to buy the Spotify plans or Apple music plans or Pandora plans or wherever you get your music from. Cause they're all just as bad. I mean, YouTube's one of the worst for it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it is a great way of getting music out there to the masses, but it's always that balance between getting the music out there to what you can actually bring back to make more music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think that ties in so much to like right now, you know, you had artists from me to Margot Price to Jason Isbell to like even way bigger names with music ready, to, the Dixie Chicks with yeah. music ready to go this year. And then COVID hit and they're all like, well, shit, when should we release this thing? Yeah. So everyone this year, it's been this ongoing debate of like, well, should we just, just, you know, stay the course, put this thing out when we were going to put it out and see how it goes. Should we push it back? Phoebe Bridgers, she pushed her album back a couple months. Jason Isbell, I think he pushes back like a month. And then for me, my team and I, we were like, well, we were going to do fall, but let's do February. Yeah. In the hopes that maybe we could tour within three to five months of that and it's relevant and it's still like an album cycle. Um, But I think to your point, artists kind of have a backlog of music right now. And I'm curious to see let me back a little more. Artists have a backlog of music right now and they've got stuff to release. I'm curious what's going to happen moving forward when they, when artists catch up to themselves. Yeah. Because part of music is you kind of want to always be ahead. You know, people are writing for years out and you're planning your albums for years out and people had paid for and had this stuff prepped pre COVID when, when money was coming in, but there is, very little money coming in right now for a lot of artists and they are releasing what they're releasing. And I'm curious to see how much music comes out moving forward. Cause it's coming out right now at a prolific pace. I mean, it's unreal. Yeah. There's so much good music right now. And I think it's cause artists are like, well shit, the only engagement possibility we have right now are people listening 
yeah digitally so people are like let's do it let's throw it out there i mean we're putting out christmas singles we're trying to drive engagement um well it's like carrie right? underwood she she announced the christmas single back in august uh no yeah. way before then uh march i think that was announced and then it was released in <laughs> september you know it's crazy the kind of time frames we're talking first for like christmas yeah. singles yeah christmas singles in themselves are, are funky too it's like you could yeah. you could release a christmas single in july it would probably do pretty well oh yeah <laughs> people just love christmas music now when did you actually write little things did you write little things i did yeah so i, I wrote all the songs on my album i um i co-wrote a handful i co-wrote probably over half of them um with uh, a dear friend of mine named Eric Knutson. He's a great songwriter, ridiculous musician, and he plays guitar um, and banjo and mandolin on the record as well. Um, but yeah, so I wrote Little Things, and I wrote it in the fall of 2019. It yeah. was the second to last song I wrote for the record. Um, and it's kind of a cool story. So we recorded the record, about 90% of it, in a one week. And, um, that was in, I think June or July of 2019. And I recorded this record at this studio called monkey claws and it's out in the mountains about a half hour from where I live. And it's just, it's just this like really cool, almost like a barn. It looks like a barn from the outside. It's very unassuming, but just tucked up in the Blue Ridge mountains. And, uh, me and the guys who, who recorded this record would just go there every morning and set up. And we did this for about a week and we'd record all day. And then I would come home at the end of the day, and my wife and I were getting married the next month. So we were like in the throes of wedding planning. And um, so I'd come home, head in the game at the studio, come back, and my wife and I would just, you know, just relax and have supper. And, um, but we were in the midst of this crazy, crazy craziness that was the wedding planning. So I wrote little things throughout that week, and I knew that I wanted kind of like a keystone to this record to kind of pull it all together. Like I wanted something a little poppier, a little more radio ready. Um, and it just kind of like encapsulated the whole record. So I started writing this song and it was, it was so much fun to pull from what was going on around me in the moment. Yeah. Because most of my writing, I'm looking back kind of processing with little things. I had so many emotions going through my head. I was, so excited to get married to my wife. I was stressed as fuck about wedding planning because it's a, a brutal process. I was recording a record. I was coming home and happy to be home. So it was just a swirl of stuff, and it, th things were moving so fast that I think that's why I, I wrote, you know, the song called "Little Things." It's because I was noticing that amongst all of that craziness, that like, damn man, just slow down a little bit. Yeah. You know? do you know cliche but let's let's focus on the little things and let's focus on having coffee in the morning with your wife and and doing that kind of stuff because life's insane and that said i wrote that song in that moment about that moment see that makes so much more sense now because when you look at the cover art it's a yeah. it, i'm trying to work out what it is it it's like a cup or is that like sugar or something on top of a mug it's a pour over so it's just a pour over on top of the mug. Ah, okay, yes. Yeah, so yeah. You just pour hot water into that, and then the coffee like drips through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I, I, we haven't got that here. Really? No. Well, I, we probably do. I just have never seen one. <laughs> oh man, dude, that's my that's my preferred coffee method. 
Oh. Yeah, it's super easy. You just you put a little cone on top of your mug. Yeah. And then you put a little coffee filter in that. Scoop your coffee grinds in there. Just pour hot water. That's it. Is it like the? Is it fresher than like a percolator? Yeah, dude. So much fresher. Oh. So, and it's so easy because it's just like bada bing, bada boom. What what like what kind of? Sorry for like the massive massive tangent because I love tangents. Um, dude, but, I love coffee. Let's go. The, like, what coffee do you use in it? Did you use coffee that's for like a cafetiere or a percolator, like a French press or like a percolator? Or do you just like these instant coffee or? No, so we, we buy a whole bean. Yeah. And like, get whatever you want, whatever kind of coffee you like. We get, uh, what have we been drinking lately? We drink a lot of local stuff. And then La Colombe, we use a lot of that. Anyways, we get whole bean. I get distracted with the coffee. I love coffee. Grind it up. Grind it up and then you just scoop it in there. It's like the most simple process ever. How do you grind it? Do you cost medium fine? Uh, dude, I don't even get that specific. Really? I just do it, I just do it to like a, until I feel my coffee grinder vibrating at a certain thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's done. Yeah. You get a feel. For, you do get a feel. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it makes a sound as well. Like, you can hear the blades go. Oh, when yeah. it gets really nice and I, fine. My, my morning routine with coffee is so sacred that like, I'm way too in tune with it. I'll like, I'll put them in the grinder, start grinding it. It'll start getting to that like certain hum, and then I'll shake it like that actually does something. <laughs> but every morning I'm always like, oh, yeah, I'll shake it. Well, <laughs> and so, then so I'm done. If it, particularly like the bigger ones, if you've got beans that are stuck at the side and the blade just can't get it or pick it up to cut it, then that's what the shaking does. It gets all the beans. <laughs> See? I'm a genius. Exactly. <laughs> totally plan to do that. Oh, I've just, what I tend to do is I always end up having a coffee whenever I'm talking, because whenever I do these podcasts, whenever I get to chat with awesome artists like yourself, I just come in from work. Because I, I was saying earlier, I work as an engineer. Yeah. I literally come in, make myself a coffee, and I come upstairs. And that just sounds amazing, having a one-cup drip thing. Oh. Do the best. I'll, I'll I'll send you a link. Send me a that's link. It's gonna be life changing. That that's gonna be that can be a Christmas present for me. We talk about Dude, Christmas. Uh, yeah, I know exactly. Way to bring it back. Coffee in in Europe versus the U.S. could be its own podcast in itself. Oh yeah. What it's what do you fat. prefer? Well, I mean, like saying coffee in Europe is like saying coffee. You know, coffee <laughs> in the United States. There's so many different places. But my wife and I traveling, we just. I don't know, it's like the go-to coffee here, like the craft beer of coffee here is a pour-over, like the mm-hmm. way we make it. That's the way you make – you just make a good cup that way. And then once you go more specific than that, you get into like fancy coffee land, which I'm just really not that interested in. And in Europe, like so we, we spent a lot of time in Ireland, and the coffee was garbage. Yeah. Like God, I love Ireland so much, but the <laughs> coffee is – it was terrible. At least where we were. It was so bad because it was like all instant. Yeah. Um and there was really not a lot of uh like like I guess the best way to put it, coffee in Ireland was kinda like beer in Ireland. It's like if you're gonna be in Ireland, you're pretty much just gonna drink Guinness. Yeah. Don't just don't yeah. waste your time with other stuff. Like it, it, just drink Guinness. And coffee there I found it was like here's black coffee. This is the only way we serve it. We don't do other stuff. And I'm probably like totally off on that. I'm sure they're like amazing coffee shops, but the places I went, it was just like very chill. And then it was kind of the same thing in Greece where it was just like, 
yeah, we don't really have a lot of options. We just do like these set drinks. Yeah. And then in Italy, of course, it was like stupid absurd. But I haven't been to the UK, so I, I, have, I have no idea. You see, there's a, it's a wide variety because you can go to a a cafe and you could say, okay, then I'd like a Americano. Or it's, a lot of the places do just have like these coffee machines like you get at Starbucks and they're just like, Bish Bosch, here's an yep. Americano or an espresso or a latte or a cappuccino or a mocha. And, you know, yep. the, there is this set list. I mean, you can go to these artisan cafes, you know, like where I live in the north of England towards Leeds, they've got like down the back streets, they've got like these little cafes where they do everything like hand grind and, you know, mm-hmm. they put that little bit of that extra little touch and it does taste different. You know, it does taste a lot better, but the price yeah. goes up then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, the, that's the only issue no oh, totally and that's that like on tour there's you know you gotta kind of learn to love the styrofoam cup of gas station coffee yeah because it, a it does the trick and b it's better for your wallet <laughs> exactly i mean that yeah. that is what the majority of us drink you know coffee wise here is instant coffee because it is just cheaper and it's easier just to quickly get a spoon put it in oh i always put the milk in first because i don't like to scotch the coffee because it does, it does burn yeah. the coffee. You can taste, you can taste the difference. People who say you can't taste the difference, they're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I use I use sweetener because I don't like sugar because it's too sweet sugar. Yeah. But I don't like it just straight. The only time I'll drink black coffee is if it's from like a percolator or a cafetiere where it's thick, and I'll drink black unsweetened coffee. Yeah. Then that's when I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it tastes, yeah. Well, you can I, taste I the coffee. But totally. if it's if it's instant, that's when I need to add like milk or creamer and have sweetener or something in it. I see. I I used to go milk and cream or, or cream and sugar, and and then I went black a while ago. But I can kind of go both ways. Like I like a delicious tasting frothy iced coffee. My mom like add all the cream and sugar you want. It's it's, yeah. it's delicious. So I'm I'm definitely not persnickety of like Ugh, I only drink like tit. If it tastes good and gets you caffeinated, I'm I'm all in. Exactly. There's there's these people who are really like snobby who won't even like stick up their nose and won't even look at a cup of instant. You know, it's 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 coffee. I love it's it. It's coffee. It's great. Have regardless. You, have you ever had? Um, and then I promise I'll stop pushing us on a coffee tangent. But have you ever had Cafe Bustello? No, I haven't. Oh man, I, I bet they have it over there. It's it's not instant, but it's like um. It's like the best uh, affordable pre-grinded coffee. It's like a yellow packaging, and it's all vacuum sealed. I think it's I think it's like a blend from uh, Central America. But check out Cafe Bustello. It's, it's it's pretty damn solid. I've got it written down now. When as soon as Perfect. it's written down, that's it. That's getting checked out. Perfect. Perfect. Man, pour over in Cafe Bustello. You're gonna be the envy of all of the UK. What about tea? Do you ever drink tea? I do drink tea. And I really enjoy tea. Um, I got kind of hooked on Irish black tea when my wife and I were over there. Um, she drinks more tea than I do. I I think my qualm with tea, if you want to call it a qualm, is that <laughs> I love caffeine. So I'm typically like, okay, let's drink some black teas. But if I drink black tea in the morning, like I do coffee before I have breakfast... I get super nauseous. I don't know <laughs> yeah. why. Like I'll have like a black tea and I like one cup and I'm like, I feel terrible. Yeah. So I don't drink a ton of tea because I feel nauseous from it. But yeah, I, I, I need to pick up my tea game. I'm 27 years old. It's time to step it up. You see, um, 
here in Yorkshire, we've got we like to brag about Yorkshire tea. It's a okay. it's a brand of tea that we've got here, and I I adore it. But you can I find you can only drink so much before you start feeling a bit not bloated, but you feel a bit like like you're full. It really fills you up. Huh. I I just get really full after drinking a couple of cup of teas. But is then there, again, is there cream in it? Usually a small drop of milk. Okay. But dude, I'm writing that. I'm writing that down too because it sounds delicious. I'll, um, Especially here, is it just gets it gets gray and rainy for the next like three months, and it's like a constant forty degrees. What I'll that's, do? That's when I love tea. After after this, I'll um I'll get you a dress and I'll send you a box of Yorkshire tea ever. Perfect. I'll send you some coffee. Oh, I love it. That, see that that <laughs> it's a trade and it's it's an ex, it's an exchange. I love it. I love it. Yeah, deal. That sounds perfect. <laughs> so, little things. Yeah. Is it part of a album or an EP coming up? It is, yeah. So, it is uh, a single off of my upcoming album called The Winemaker's Daughter. The Winemaker's Daughter? Yeah. The Winemaker's Daughter. It's coming out on February 12th of 2021. February 12th. How long has this been in the making, then? It's been in the making, well... That's always a funny question because if you consider like when I wrote the you know one of the first songs for it yeah you know I wrote my single something to hold which came out this past February in I mean four years ago probably Christ um, so technically it's been in the making for a while but we went into the studio uh, in the summer of 2019 so over a year and a half and like I said we had planned on putting this album out this past fall. But the universe had different plans for it. So um, when it comes out, it will have been in the making for, for you know, about two years. Because you've also got another single out called Living Wage. Yeah, so those are all going to be on the record. So you've got Something to Hold came out in February. Living Wage came out in April. And then Little Things came out in October. Um, and then we're going to have one more single coming out in January. Oh, so you're almost doing like a, a John Mayer-esque type of thing where Because when he released... Um, what was it Continuum? He released like four in blocks. Mm-hmm. So it was like, here's, here's a teaser. Listen to these and love them. Here's another teaser. Listen to these yeah. and love them. Here's the rest of it. Here you go. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of artists are moving to that um, these days for various reasons. I, I think that the, you know, the whole algorithm thing, Yeah, if you release in small chunks it does better in the algorithms on the streaming platforms. Um, but for us, it wasn't so much that it was just, we were kind of, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Um, once we started to shift things back, um, we just were like, you know, let's, let's keep releasing some music. We've got good music to put out there. We want to keep our audience engaged. And we kind of wanted to bridge the gap from, you know, where we were going to release the album, which was this fall to this spring. So we just wanted to keep people engaged throughout that, this weird time. So we didn't really do it on purpose. It just started to kind of happen. Um, you know, like something to hold in February, that was very planned. And then living wage in April, we actually weren't going to, um, we weren't going to push that as a single. We were going to make it a a focus track. Um, and we were hoping it would do well in markets like the red dirt scene in Texas and stuff like that. Yeah. But we were like, man, the song, this message fits so perfectly for right now. And, you know, people need some music and also let's, let's use this song as an experiment to see how stuff does during COVID. Yeah. Um, and now looking back on that, I think 
I think it was still too crazy in April. Yeah. And I think people's bandwidth was pretty much full. Um, and I think that hurt the release a little bit, but we went into it being like, Hey, let's just, let's see how this goes and let's just purely just give people some music. So that's why we released that one then. That, that's always the main thing as well. I mean, one of the main things when you're releasing, say, an album is you'll have 12 tracks, you know, usually 12 tracks on an album. Mm-hmm. And it could be 12 of the best tracks you've ever written, you know, could, they could all be number ones. But an audience usually only pays attention to about 50, 60% of the album. They'll mm-hmm. be able to instantly recall a chunk because there's so much great. You can only have, you can't have too much of a good thing, if that makes yeah. any sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's, I mean, if you're even a small music fan, you've listened to records and been, and noticed how oftentimes about halfway through the song quality kind of flounders a little bit. Yeah. Um, just because. That's that's the way it is. Um, I will say this this record, it's the closest thing I've written to a concept album. It's not, it's not a concept album, but it's pretty damn close to it. And... Um, I hope people will listen all the way through because it, it's kind of narrative in a sense that like the next song kind of sets up the platform for the, or the, you know, this song sets up the, the platform for the next song and, and, and so on. Yeah. What, which song has been your favorite one to, you know, not just write, but to do the whole like production side to it as well. Hmm. Now I'm going to do that as a double parter, actually. I'm going to do the first okay. part on the ones that you've released so far, okay. and the second part is the ones that you haven't released. Okay, so let's let's do of the ones we've released so far. And favorite in the sense of, of production and the whole the whole experience? Everything, not just okay. like a soul. I enjoyed going to the studio and recording that. I didn't just okay. enjoy writing that one. I enjoyed the okay. whole thing. I guess you know. I, I guess I'll focus on two. Um, something to hold is the oldest song on the record, and um, I wrote it just back in a different phase of my life, and I didn't know if it would see the light of day on a record. So it wasn't so much the writing process that really got me going on that one. It was seeing a song that I wrote so long ago and kind of shelved. Go from that to really building that in the studio yeah. and hearing that for the first time. Cause we cut most of this album live and I really was intentional about that. I wanted it to sound like I got a band in a room and we cut the record and we, we pretty much did. And to hear this just phenomenal band I got together, bring this song to life was just like, you know, as a, as a songwriter, it was just like one of those moments where you're just like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's I get I that. Yeah. These guys nailed it. Like this song was just me and my guitar sitting in my kitchen table years ago in this little apartment we were renting, and now I've got this band absolutely slaying it and and sonically doing exactly what I wanted this song to do because that that one is very John Mayer esque and it's just got such a good groove and Eric is playing guitar on it just just killing it yeah so for me the 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 production side of that was a dream come true, um, and then little things. I think the entire process from writing it to recording it was, was beautiful for me because like I was saying earlier, I wrote that song while we were recording the rest of the album. It was so close and so raw for me, not only in the writing, but also the recording of it. And yeah. then the, the recording of it was special because we laid it down 
and it had this very like four on the floor driving acoustic guitar leaning feel to it. Um, and I just didn't love it. I was like, something just didn't sit right. I was like, you know, it works like nothing wrong with it, but it had this like, had this like low quality, like Christian rock feel to it. Yeah. It was like, like, like shimmering acoustic guitar and, and I just, I don't know. I didn't love it. I was like, something is not sitting right. So Eric and I went back in the studio and, and he, he's such a badass. He kind of like rebuilt the front side of that song. We kind of stripped away a lot. Yeah. Like we kept, we kept the, the bass and drums, but we kind of stripped it all away. And he went back in and like, we, we kind of aimed for references, which was fun because we didn't really do that for a lot of the record. And I was like, you know, look, I kind of want a James Bay guitar tone. And yeah. I kind of, I love the way Lucas Nelson's playing acoustic guitar in Shallow off of Stars Born. Yeah. And I was like, I kind of want to meld that into this pop country song I've got. So we stripped everything away except for the rhythm section and kind of rebuilt that song, even with the vocal attached to it. Really? So it was just this like really cool coloring in the empty spaces down moment i mean do you still have a version you know do you still have that saved somewhere oh yeah you know the original we save everything yeah because i've i've just been um i've been involved with a charity single where we've got a couple of artists you know we've had eight artists sing on the single it's very band-aid style yeah 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 and what i found interesting in is not only just listening to the song growing as you put all the artists together and you layer up the music mm-hmm. but when you actually send it for like mixing and mastering the how it changes how you can get the different feeling you think hang on that's not quite right you send them a message to say oh can you tweak this a bit and it just changes the whole feel of the song just you know, oh, yeah. whether it's how, how bright it makes it sound, or how you know whether it's bringing up a lot more of the percussion instruments, or whether it's bringing up a lot of the strings, or you know, it's the little tiny things that once you start listening to music over and over and over again, you start to pick up. And what was it like for you to listen to Living Wage to think, you know what, actually, now we we don't like this. You know, how did it actually like come across to you? Um, I think. With little things, it was like I remember just being in the control room and, and playing it back, and I knew where I wanted it to go. Like it, it had this packaged, this the form of the song had this packaged kind of poppy gleam to it that I really wanted to aim for, and it what it it just felt a little too loose. It just felt a little too one dimensional because, like I said, it was it was all acoustic guitar driven. Yeah, it was just a lot of open strums, and it never really felt like it had this punchiness to it that I wanted. So that's where I, when Eric and I rebuilt it, I kind of wanted it to have space. And that was that James Bay guitar tone, just a lot of reverb on electric guitar, just beautiful guitar tone. And I wanted that, and yeah. then I wanted space. And once we did that and added the acoustic to it, we were like, "Well, shit." The song is a banjo now. Yeah. So we got Chris Pandolfi of the infamous String Dusters to hop on board and do that. And and that, I think that's when it all came together, where it was like we we created space, which is so, so important in music, and then picked spots to kind of fill in some of that space. Yeah. And, yeah, so I guess to answer your question, when did I realize that? I think it was just listening back after the first couple times of, of running it through. And I was it just never... It wasn't one little thing, but I just was like, you know what? As a songwriter here, I don't, 
it's now where I want it to be. That, that's, you know, it's, it takes a lot of self-confidence to be able to pick apart your own song, let alone, you know, actually say, you know, this needs, this definitely needs changing. You know, it, it does take, you know, a bit of career, you know, understanding of yourself to be able to do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still very much so learning how to do that. I mean, I, I noticed from my, you know, earlier recording experiences to this one, I was able to vocalize and communicate, um, with musicians much better, but I still, that's, that's a major area of growth for me. It's just being able to communicate exactly what I want. And I, I think that's what makes really great musicians are the ones who can speak that language so well and, and, and tell other people what, what they hear in their head. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to get there. What is it that's in little things? Is it a, is it a steel slide or is it a, yeah. Yeah. So it's pedal, it a... pedal, pedal steel is what you hear a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. That that there, I know it's not just the instrument that makes a song country, but that there just adds that extra little sprinkle. It's like a little sprinkle of country-esque into that even more so. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the song's toeing the line between country and, and like a pop rock. Yeah. And that kind of pushes it over the edge towards country just a little bit. Just that little flavoring. Have you have you seen yeah. that little meme with the um, guy who's sprinkling salt and he's just sprinkle sprinkle? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the best that? song. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yes. So that that's Sam Wilson and he's he's recorded on a bunch of my stuff and he um he's a ridiculous musician. He um is a guitar player first and is a phenomenal pedal steel player as well. And uh, he was he was and is in a band called Sons of Bill, which if you haven't heard of them, you should definitely check out. They're they're phenomenal and they're out of out of Charlottesville. There we go. That's written down. Perfect. You know what so it's we'll like. Looked at. As soon as it's written down, it's getting checked. Yep. Definitely gonna check that. Oh. Yeah, they're great. He, they're he's great. everything about all your songs. You know, I can't. I hate. I I always try and be an optimist, but I always go for the pessimist you know view of songs sometimes mm-hmm. and i go okay then i'm gonna listen to this and let's see if i can find something wrong let's see if i can hear you know just something that doesn't fit right or if something just doesn't flow right within a song because everybody knows if something doesn't sound right it doesn't sound right yeah yeah and every song i can dude well i i can't I really appreciate that and i think the um i think there are a, f- a few factors that really helped that come to fruition and i think the biggest one is who i surrounded myself with i yeah. really wanted i really wanted a professional band on this and a lot of the recordings i've done in the past were with like bandmates that i was touring with and kind of felt beholden to and this one was just like you know what i want to hire a studio band and my producer dave stipe uh had to work with with these folks including the guy I keep mentioning eric um and we we were kind of all in line with that. We're like, let's just get the right people for this record. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And um, and we did. These guys, they just there's a sense of professionalism that goes a long, long way in the studio, and that helped a lot with this. Um, because I surrounded myself with people who are better at music than I am. It's always the best. And that it's always the best. And and it pushed me to be better. Um, and then in post production, I wanted a level in mixing 
that I hadn't done before. So I got Mark Patakia out of Nashville to do it. And he's worked with Jason Isbell and Casey Musgraves. And um, that really just upped the, up the overall production level. Like that's where, that's where everything just started to pop because when you work with a real mixer and you get, you get stuff back, you're just like, how, how, how would you do that? Like, how'd you pull that out? Like what, what dark magic are you doing exactly to make this happen? And that, and that it was the experience with every song as it came back. How did you come across Evan then? So Evan, Evan and I have been kind of crossing paths for the past few years. Um, he has played drums in a band called strong water. who are also great to check out, um, from a town just down the road called Harrisonburg. And, um, I guess as an aside, the Central Virginia music scene is pretty pretty tight yeah. and small in that it's just you kind of cross paths all the time. You're playing the same circuit. You're playing the same venues. You're playing co-bills with each other. You're trying to support each other. Yeah. Um, so Evan and I had known each other because of that uh, for a few years. And then as I was trying to get things revamped with music and get um, to the next step, he was working for a booking agency called Stonefly Booking. And... Uh, reached out to me and was like, "Hey, look, we're we're looking to add someone to our roster. Um, would you know? I'd love to work with you." So, our relationship kind of started from there, and uh, from from there it moved to him wanting to move into the management side of things, and we were like, "Yeah, man, let's go for it. Let's go for you be my manager. Let's get this machine functioning." And um, yeah, that's that's all she wrote right there. So he's awesome, and it's. I've heard a lot of stories about relationships with managers or booking agents not being very copacetic. Yeah. And with and with Evan, I really can't say enough as far as having someone like him in my corner who's young and hungry like yeah. I am, a friend, and who is uh, – it's a good driven person. Yeah. Like those, those qualities, the more I, I do, the more time I spend in the music industry, I realize matters so much as, as in all business and all areas of life, but just working with somebody who's good and kind. And also who wants to put their nose on the grindstone and, and, and do this. It's been a great combo. I mean, Evan definitely grafts because even just setting this up, you know, tonight or this yeah. afternoon for yourself, so many emails backwards and forwards just making sure everything's set everything's organized and then obviously when we started messaging sent like this zoom link you know yeah. evan's really been on the ball oh dude it's huge and i and i did this i did what he does for me at a much lesser level for years yeah for the band i mean i, I had an alias as a booking agent that i would use in emails and i did all this and i know how painstaking it is. Like it takes so much work to book an artist, to rep an artist, to do all of this, to line up podcasts. It takes an unbelievable amount of time and effort. So knowing that makes me just appreciate having Evan even more because the fact that he can line us up with you, I could hop in on the, on the like 20th email and be like, Hey Dom, that sounds great. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you just said, but that sounds yeah, fantastic. Send me a link. We'll make it happen. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's everything. Because, yeah, that, that is literally all we said on the emails together. And, you know, everything else was prearranged and pre-sorted by Evan, and it's gone. I know I, I'm always uh, sometimes like one or two minutes late to the shows because I literally, I 
do it just so as I get in, I've got enough time to get a coffee. And if the coffee, if my kettle's slow, yeah. then it means I'm going to be a minute or two late. And, but you was spot on time. You know, you've, this has been fantastic. I've loved this. Oh, good, man. No, I, like I said, it's just been, it's been so nice just talking to people these days. Like I was telling you with my podcast, it's just talking to people who love music, whether they make it, listen to it, whatever. It's just been so nice these days. Cause I, I felt isolated in ways that I never thought I would be. Yeah. And and just to talk to people who love music has been everything. It's just been so refreshing and rewarding. I find it gives it, – it's certainly given me because I was saying right at the start before we actually started the shows, I don't know anything about music, you know, in terms of, you know, the behind the scenes and actually being on stage and performing. I'm, I've come into this as a fan of music mm-hmm. and I've learned so much – just from doing this alone. I mean, this is my 50, 58th episode now. And, you know, it's it's crazy how much is involved, not only just from a person getting onto a stage and singing in front of a mic, but behind the scenes, or the whole organising a single, organising an EP, the timescales, the emails that go out, the going on to, like, certain sites like DistroKid where you can upload your singles to go for pre-orders, you know, doing all mm-hmm. that, it's got to be done by certain times. Um, just so much is involved and I love it. And then not only that, people are living day-to-day lives like what you talk about on your podcast with people working full-time jobs. I love yeah. it. Yeah, oh, it's <laughs> fascinating, man. I, I started listening to, um, have you ever listened to The Working Songwriter with Joe Pug? Not yet, but I'm so, I'm always looking oh, for man. new podcasts. You'd love it. it. It was kind of my first introduction into into this style of of podcast, where it's kind of the you know the looking behind the curtain, like yeah. See how you do your how you do your business. Um, and when I first started listening to that podcast, it was such a uh, what's the word? It was um, it was so connecting. Because I was just like, oh, my God, I never hear music talked about in this context of like, you know, like, yeah, submitting to your DSPs on time, like the kind of stuff that I hate doing. But once you hear other people talking about it, you're like, yeah, you know, like (laughs) you suffer as well. I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, making making music like getting on stage and playing the song is like five percent of being a musician. Yeah. I wish it was more. But I mean, that is there. It is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. That's that's you're seeing the finished product once you see that. I mean that that's you know I do. I, it's one of the reasons why I like to go. I I'd like to give the reins to like yourselves. You know I'd happily just sit back and just let you talk and talk and talk and talk. You know that's what I want. I love these tangents because you can go off and it allows you to divulge a little bit more detail than what you would go and say a radio show talking about just a single because it's not just a single it's the build up to a single it's about how you got to writing that single it's about how you got writing that ep or album and you know there's a lot more to it that's why i tend to prefer these podcasts yeah well and this is freeing for artists like myself because you know we've all done the the single pitch you know like yeah we've we've done that interview we've done that and and they're fun it's great to be able to self-promote but you know you can only talk about like how great you think your new single is so many times. It's nice to talk about the stuff that isn't as sexy and it, but you still got to do it. So I, I love conversations like this. Exactly. One thing I do want to point out as well, 
is if you haven't checked out Will's website yet, you go to www.willovermanmusic.com and right at the bottom, there's a nice blown-up picture of you performing on stage somewhere, uh, on stage somewhere, and you're playing a harmonica as well as a guitar. Yeah, yeah, I um, I play harmonica a good bit. It's like my, I wouldn't say it's my secondary instrument because I'm not a good harmonica <laughs> player, but I, I play it in kind of the folky Bob Dylan style. Yeah, um, I use I I brought it into the fold when I was doing a lot of solo shows yeah. and I, I needed something to mix up the set and um, break it up musically and, and add a little bit as far as instrumentals go. And, um, you know, I started doing that and adding it to certain songs and eventually it got to a point where I was like, yeah, this is, this is part of my sound. Um, so there's a good bit of harp on the, uh, the upcoming record. And um, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, I haven't played harmonica really much at all this past year because I've been playing at home and it's not something that like I play guitar almost every day, but for me, harmonica is so expressive and it's so such a live thing for me. Um, that at home, I just don't, I don't find that I just sit there and like casually play harmonica. So I, I kind of miss it. Harmonica just reminds me of a solo in like a jazz band or a blues band where you can just, you go with the rhythm, you go with the, how, the, how you're feeling that night or how the crowd's feeling. You can adjust your solo with a harmonica harp as much Man, as you I, want. I, I wish it was that easy for me. It is, um, it is, it is harder than it looks. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> it is. It's hard yeah. to play a harp regardless. Yeah, I'm, but I, I, do, I do know what you're saying. I mean, I definitely, it is very expressive that I will change things up from night to night, but I still am not at the point with the harmonica where I'm just like, oh, let's try this tonight. I'm like, I'm like, ah, I know the solo. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. I'm going to nail it. <laughs> I'm going to nail that, yeah. Do you have your harp with you? I do. I got my whole book over here, man. Oh, your whole book? What, have you got different keys? I got like eight keys. Yeah. Oh wow! Basically, if those who don't know much about harmonicas, is each harmonica has its own key. So usually you get a key of C, or C yeah. is it a G? C. A lot of C, a lot of G. I like playing in D quite a bit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I like the capo too on the guitar a lot, and I'll yeah. play C shapes. Um, so then you're in the key of D. So I, I find that I write a lot in there. It's a good good key for my my vocal range. You see, you say that, but on this picture, the um, the capo is stuck to the head of the guitar. There, there we go. A rare moment that I'm open. It's it's there. It's there, ready though. You can see it's it's, it's waiting. Just the but the look of concentration and the passion. I'd say in your face there as well. Yeah, I'm a pretty passionate performer. I kind of I lock in, I close my eyes a lot. I uh, I sing hard. I play hard. I I mean I love I love playing live I, I miss the hell out of it I just if I'm not like drenched in sweat by the end of a show then something's wrong. Do you want to get one of your harps out and give us a little tinkle? On oh, my harp? Yeah, man, I'll, I'll do it. I'll you do say it. you haven't played this year much, anyhow. So it'd be nice for you to blow off the cobwebs. Yeah, you know what? Let me grab my guitars right here. I really can't do it without the guitar. I feel too exposed. <laughs> Let's see here. I'll play a little snippet from my my next single. Your um the almost like neck brace, the holder that you use to 
hold yeah. the hat? How much do they go for? I've always been wondered. Oh, they're cheap. They're like, I'm sure you can. Here we go. I'm sure you can get nice ones, but it's just a piece of metal. Yeah. So they're they're not much, man. And I I use uh I use Honer harps. Yeah. But you can which run, they're a little pricier because they're awesome. But um, you can you can find a set of harps and get a holder for, God, probably fifty bucks total. I mean, ju- just looking at this one here, it looks like it's such an intricate piece of equipment. But it is it literally just a bit of metal that's holding <laughs> holding it up with a few bolts. Literally, that's all it is. <laughs> that's brilliant. But you can see the uh, Hona logo right in the middle. It's like it's perfect ad placement for you. Oh, they're they're brilliant. It's like like Fender and Gibson, man. They all know what they're doing. This is fun. I didn't know I was going to play. The only problem and benefit of these SM7s is they're so they're so directional. Yes. All right. I can I can hear the guitar perfectly fine through, so cool. reason i'm tuning is because if you start I've, I've started way too many songs where my guitar is flat or sharp and <laughs> my harp's in tune yeah and then you're like oh man there's nothing you can do you can hear it just grinding together oh it's terrible it's terrible all right let's see here That just everything about that just seems it, it's so mellow. It's so it adds that extra little vibe. Oh, they're the best, man! I, I, that solo is on the record, and um, there's just something so uh, so organic. Yeah, but, you know, it's like I mean, how many how many times have you heard a a harmonica solo in some folky song? Exactly. It's but every time I hear it, you're like, oh, that. It's exactly what that song needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, know? you don't realize you need it till you need it, and then when you listen to it, it's like that's perfect. That is. Yeah. It ju- we talked about the sprinkle with the, uh, um, la- uh, pedal that's, steel. That's the more sprinkle, sprinkle. That's exactly. more sprinkle, sprinkle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, that just sounds. I could just listen to that. Just that segment there, that little loop, <laughs> on loop for the rest of tonight, and I'd be happy. Well, that's about the extent to which I can play, so that 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 works for me. I mean, 
when these live gigs do start coming about, you know, you've definitely got to come back. You've got to come to the UK. You've got to come tour around England. Uh, I want to so, so badly. And that, that's like one of my biggest dreams is a tour of the UK. You, should, you need to um, do a full-on international tour around the UK, tour around Ireland, Scotland, go over to France and Amsterdam and explore the, you know, like what you did with the uh, traveling and the almost backpacking-esque, but with your guitar. Dude, I want to. I, so my wife and I, we worked um, in uh, this little town north of Galway in Ireland for about a month. And um, I had a weekly gig at the local pub and had my guitar with me. And um, I've never, ever had the response to my music like I had there. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I was just something different. Like, they're used to trad Irish music, and I was coming in singing, you know, my style of stuff. Um, but for some reason, they just they really, really took to it really quickly. Um, and it just got me fired up. I was like, man, I would, I would love to come over here, and if I can get, you know, an ounce of this reaction from people elsewhere, it'd be great. See the great, uh, it's great time as well, you know, around now because the country scene here is just growing so fast. It's growing exponentially. It's it's a brilliant thing to see. Really, what what's driving that? We've no idea. I mean, there's the likes of like Carrie Underwood. It's it's predominantly the larger names, you know, like yeah, you know, Luke Combs, Darius Rucker, you know, Dirks Bentley, yeah. Blake Shelton, you know, the big names that have like kind of catapulted a lot of the country scene here because a lot of them come over for festivals. But now the UK scene here is growing as well. It's fantastic to see. That's yeah. No, that's, that's unreal. I, and it's funny you mentioned that because one of my buddies from this area, we were living in Ireland. He was a huge fan of like top 40 AAA country. Yeah. And I was like, like how? Cause I'm, you know, I'm from the South. I, I get why, especially Southern Americans can identify with that music. Cause it's like, it's talking about what I'm looking at out my window right now. You know, like, yeah, it's talking about, did I, did I just interrupt my own podcast? <laughs> you did. That's brilliant. <laughs> that was your, oh wow. It's cause, um, the screen went off and I just wiggled the mouse, but I must've clicked it. And at the bottom of your web page, there's That's a Spotify. So, so rude of me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was so loud. <laughs> I apologize for myself. Don't worry. That I'm definitely editing that out. Oh. Um anyways, I, I just I remember my buddy who lives in this small rural town in, in Ireland and he was like, oh, I love these songs and I was like at first I was like, like why? This makes no sense. And then I thought about it more and I was like, I mean you live like you identify with this stuff too. Cause yeah, the guy who lives in like Southern Virginia in a small town who drives trucks and like hunts and stuff identifies with that in the same way. My buddy from Ireland, I think I I'm assuming would identify too. Cause it's all talking about, you know, small town. Yeah. And it was, it was cool to be like, that is really neat how that is accessible and, and makes anyone connect no matter where you are in the world. And that's, I think a big reason why I love country music. I mean, yeah, we don't have like the we have a countryside here, but we don't have like the expanses of fields like what you do in the states, you know, where you see these people with these farms and the pickup trucks and you know, yeah. our like biggest cars a Nissan Navara kind of thing. We don't right. have like the Ford F one fifties or, you know, <laughs> the big Silverados. Yeah. Um but yeah, but we're still 
connect, you know, in the sense of songwriting and and a lot of I know a lot of country songs are about either love or breakup, but a lot of songs are because that is what affects us day to day. Yeah. And the great thing with country music is it's just this different way of telling your life story. And you know, it, it's just growing massively. For those that don't understand what's just happened there, when when Will was talking, you'll notice there's a bit of a cutout. It's because I've just edited a little bit out where I've accidentally pressed some of his music that's on his webpage and it's blown my ears to smithereens. I don't know how it affected you, Will. Oh, it's fine over here. It's fine over here. Oh, that's good because it was really loud in mine. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the things I love to see on like your website is just above your about bit. There's a nice little quote from the Huffington Post. Can you remember what it says? I think, it does that one say, um, if you haven't heard of Will Overman, just wait and you will, something like that? Yeah, if you haven't heard Will Overman yet, just wait, you will. It sums it sums you up to a T. Because if, if people haven't heard you, you know, a lot of people don't hear, particularly the working class artists. Yeah. But as soon as you do, you're going to love him. I love what you do. Ah, oh, well, Dom, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that. And like I said, man, it's just such a treat to to talk to somebody. And it's so cool that we're talking across the pond from each other. That that that's we were. Talk, it's like what we keep saying you know, throughout the this episode is there's just so much that's changed this past year, and yeah. the fact that everything's done remotely now because everybody's at home. I'm I'm at home. You know, I've got people living here, and the fact that we can jump on a computer, yes, there's a time difference, there's a five-hour time difference between us. Yeah. But we're still sat here as if we're face-to-face. Yeah. No, this year has made the world very small in a good way. Yeah. It's- I mean, I, a lot of my co-writing has been with people in L.A. I'm talking to you, your six-hour time difference, five-hour time difference. It's Zoom, you know, it may not be ideal, but it's it's done some pretty damn cool things. It's brought everybody closer together and that's what yeah. that's what songs do as well. You know, it's it's all ties in together cuz you know, we all feel different ways about songs, but we're all listening to the same songs and sharing that emotion. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, it like with country, a lot of it's about breaking up or getting together or whatever and and the, that universality of of music, whether it's country or pop or hip hop or whatever, like that's, you know, that's why we're all listening. And I think I don't know about you, but but during this year, I have listened and listened like intensely to more music than at any other point in my life. Yeah, definitely. That 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 was one of the other reasons why I wanted to start this was because when I was just listening to certain radio stations, they'd play you know your your top ten hits, and it'd be on yeah. like a constant loop. Which I understand because radio stations have to make money as well. And if it's in the top 10 in the charts, then it's going to sell. It's obviously selling. Mm-hmm. And that entices listeners in. But I just wanted something a bit extra. And I wanted to delve a bit deeper into the music as well. I wanted to basically force myself to listen to new music. And because of this, I've got to experience fantastic music from Like Yourself. You know, it opens up a whole new avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as much as you and I can probably gripe about, you know, these streaming services like Spotify. I will say they have shown me so much music that I never would have come across. Yeah. If it weren't for these algorithms and, and, you know, 
playlists that are curated and stuff like that. And I've just, I'm just like, I'm blown away sometimes when I open up my release radar or my discover weekly and I'm like, Oh my God, I love all of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I can't wait till music comes back and I can go see all these people live. I mean, like, like I said earlier, you know, with like Spotify, Apple music, Pandora, YouTube, whichever sites you prefer, use it to your heart's content. But if you find something that you genuinely love, buy it, you know, for the sakes of a couple of pence or cents or however much a single or an album costs, you know. Yeah, and, and even easier to do, and I don't think people realize this, is like the song, add it to a playlist and follow the artist. Like that goes a long ways for us as the artist. That, that's it. I mean, that, that there is what's directly changing the algorithms the more people that put a song onto a playlist Mm -hmm. spotify picks that up or spotify picks up how many people are following an artist or liking a particular song because there's a little heart button and you know that that's what spotify picks up and adds it into the bigger playlist and the more bigger playlists that get it the bigger the audience the bigger the audience the more people are listening grows 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 yeah well uh don before we cut away you said you're a whiskey drinker What's your uh, what's your poison of choice? Oh, I vary. It depends on how I'm feeling. The majority of the time, Jimmy I'll go man. for a Maker's Mark. Okay. Um, but I do love a Jim Beam, and I do love a Jack Daniels, and I do love a Buffalo Trace. Um, it's mainly bur- uh, bourbons that I drink. Bourbons. Dude, me too. Me See, too. why why don't I live in Charlottesville? You should, man. Virginia's a good place for bourbon, so. It's uh, Buffalo Trace is one of my favorites. Buffalo Trace. Oh yeah, Buffalo See, Trace is great. There we go. I um, Makers. It's hard to beat Makers too. I mean, I, I like the uh, spiciness of Makers. It, it is very spicy. I find Buffalo Trace is a little smoother. Yeah, that, that, I think that's um, why I tend to go to like a gym as well. Sometimes is if I'm just wanting to just mellow it out and just go a bit smooth and yeah, uh, not cheap but cheaper. Cheaper. Yeah. No. I I, I think I've been doing a um. Nicest bottle I think I've ever had was my wedding bottle, and that was a bottle of Redbreast. Oh, that was that was pretty damn good. But the one I've been um, how how I've much been does lo- how much does a Redbreast go for? I think Redbreast it depends on like how aged it is, but I think they have like twelve, eighteen, maybe twenty four. Um, I think this is like forty four dollars. Oh, that's not too bad then. I mean, it's I'm not a- too bad. You can get a lot here. Like like I've been I've been nursing this bottle of High West. I don't know if you've had that, but they're out of Utah. Yep. And they, they do a lot of blends. And that's like 44. So if you're like at the liquor store here, you can get a lot at that mid-tier, the 44, which is nice. Yeah. If you, if you are like, okay, I don't want to drink like a Jim Beam tonight, but I'd like to have something a little nicer in the shelf. Like you can do a lot at that price point, which is which is good for my wallet. You see, for Maker's Mark here... It's about thirty pound, which is about thirty eight forty dollars. Okay. So okay. it's not it's not a million miles away. No, no. Just shows and how makers is, makers is cheaper here. I was gonna say because it's made down the road. I mean, obviously, everything here is gonna be a bit more expensive because. Oh no! It should be more expensive at your end. It should. Oh, I don't know. Our government <laughs> just likes to rip us off because it's alcohol. Oh, same here. Same. Here. We'd, we'd have to go to a special store to buy it. How do you guys buy alcohol there? Just wherever we want. We could just see, go to a here. supermarket and it's there. Well, see, what's crazy about the United States is it changes state to state. 
Yeah. Like here, it, you've got to go to the ABC store, which is a specific liquor selling distributor, which is state run. And then you go to, you know, Maine and it's just sold in the supermarket. Yeah. Well, I stayed in San Antonio in Texas for a bit and trying okay. to get alcohol there was interesting. I mean, I could go, I think they sold bottles of beer in Target, but I had to go to a special liquor store for individual bottles of like whiskey or whatever I wanted there. And that was like yeah. the other side of San, the other side of North San Antonio where I was. And it was like, oh, great. I, I didn't have a car. So I had to Uber everywhere. And oh, dude, just for a drink. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of nice bars cause I, I went for work Yeah, and they put me in a hotel on the North side of the city. And there was a, a 54th street bar and grill type thing. Okay. Right at the bottom. And li- Literally, it's like a sports bar with TVs around and it's got a restaurant attached to it. And yeah. I've spent most of my nights in there and just sat there just watching the TV and getting whatever was on the shelf. Yeah. So that's that's pretty sweet work sent you to Texas. Was that engineering work? Engineering, yeah. Uh, well, I'm involved in prosthetics. So I build oh, like okay. fake hands. And um, one of the guys in the American office, because the there's an office based there in the UK and there was an office based over there. And one of the guys was involved in an incident, a car incident. Okay. And he couldn't work for a couple of months. So there was a big backlog of repairs and returns. So they needed somebody to go out there that was skilled to basically help out. So I went out there. It was only supposed to be for a couple of weeks and it ended up being like three, four months where I stayed out. Dag on. San Antonio. Huh. It was it was nice, you know. Got to visit quite a lot of places, you know, around like Corpus Christi, and then going up to like Louisiana to some did of the you, casinos. Uh, did you get to go to Austin at all? I went around Austin. Okay. Well, we flew, we originally flew into Austin, and then we spent a bit of time around Austin, and then we got a, I think I got a Uber or something. I was pay, I was paid. No, it wasn't an Uber because they don't do Ubers in Austin. It was like a special car that drove me to San Antonio. It was it was all right. Okay. It was quite nice. Yeah, Texas. I've not spent a ton of time there, but I've I've spent time in Austin. I I love New Orleans, um, and uh, with the, you know this past year, we were trying to get down to Texas and Oklahoma quite a bit because I think I think my music, especially like songs like Living Wage, would do well in that scene there. That yeah, kind of red, that red dirt outlaw country scene. So when I head back there, I'll report back to you and tell you how it is. <sighs> I. I wish I could just jump on a plane now and, you know, go visit. It's that that's that's the hardest thing about this kind of period of time at the moment is we just don't have that luxury. No, that stuck feeling for people like me, like I I I love knowing that I can pick up and go. And I love I loved that my job before COVID it made me travel because I love it. So that you know that you can't just hop on a plane and go anywhere in the world that you want. Yes, yeah. you know. It's among all the problems in the world, it's not that that big of one, but it definitely it, it weighs on you. I think everyone's feeling kind of this stuck feeling right now. It's like even with your, you know, careers, it's like how do you progress and plan for the future with this all going on? Yeah, exactly. You just can't. There's just no, there's nothing in the foreseeable future. There's there's no way of saying okay, then this is all going to be done by February, and then after February, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can go visit X, Y, Z, and you know, there's right. no limitations. But there's not. It's literally, it could be February, it could be, it could be May, it could be touch yeah. wood. It's not, you know, at the back end of next year because 
it's really going to... The arts here in the UK are just suffering massively because there's just nowhere open. Dude, they are here too. I mean, venues are closing on a daily basis. Yeah. And they're, they're the venues that people at my tier and at the mid-tier rely on to make a living. And, it, and they are closing because there's... How do you stay open? Exactly. You just can't. Like, like what venues have like deep savings, you know? It's... And there's no so far. There's been no government help for venues, and hopefully there's going to be one in the next few weeks. We'll see. But you know, if if a lot of these venues close, the the landscape for touring will look very very different. Yeah, I mean, here in the UK, a certain amount of budget. I can't remember exactly how much it was, but a certain pot was put aside, and only select people if you applied for this grant, basically. Mm-hmm got it to try and help keep you afloat, but you had to apply for it. And if you wasn't successful, you basically closed down. Yeah. And that, it's just so sad. It was the, we had the PPP act and that, but that's run out now. Yeah. So that's where like venues held strong for about six months and then that ran out. Um, and now they're like, you know, I'm, I've been doing some, some filming at a local venue here and, um, it's crazy being in these venues and I've been shooting like music videos and stuff like that for other artists. And it's just so, uh, it's just like sad for lack of a better word, being in these venues that I'm used to seeing from the stage, looking out into the audience, yeah, dancing, drinking, having a ball, you know, packed. And these rooms are empty. The dance floor is now full of like tables and production equipment for shooting music videos. Yeah, lights are down. There's you know dust all over the place. It's just it's bizarre, man. And and it's the live music world's not meant to function like this. It's like you it's, said earlier. It's, it's that zombie apocalypse esque feeling. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I, I think the weirdest thing about this year being in the music world is that you have that zombie apocalypse feeling, but it's not the zombie apocalypse. No. <laughs> like that, I think we've all been like, if COVID was was like World War Three and we had to go defeat the Nazis, like that would be more visceral. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, would be like, okay, well, we've got to ration food, and we've got to shut down, we got to, we got to, we got to win the war. Exactly. With, with COVID, it's like, well, you might get sick. You, you might, might not. not. And if you do get sick, you could die. But you might not, you know. It's yeah, like, there's, there's no like, definitive X Y. You know, there's no set. This is what will happen if you do no. X Y Z. It's just there's just so many gray areas. There's just so many places where there's just no defined rules. I think that's I think that's yeah. it there because there's no set rules of this virus that you know if you're at a certain age or a certain you know lifestyle that you will get this. It's you're at a high chance of getting this if you do this, mm-hmm. but everybody could get it or everybody couldn't get it or you might be immune to it or you might not be immune to it. And there's just no, yeah, it's such a weird time. Yeah. And there's, there's no set rule and there's no set, like there's a common goal, but there's no set, uh, set of steps for how to achieve that. So yeah, yeah, man. But I did, I think, I think to bring it back full circle, stuff like this, it this honestly does help me get through it. So I, I I can't thank you enough for having me. This is just such a such a fun thing and such a rewarding. I think I've said that a few times now, but but talking to people and 
And even just bitching about the state of the world right now is so cathartic. Yeah, it is. It's, it's <laughs> great know? just to vent, you know, to somebody else, you know, not just yeah. the same four walls. Yeah, oh, totally. And for someone else to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a bummer. <laughs> one of the last questions I want to ask, and it's one of the most yeah. important questions of the show. Um, I don't know how to say this to you, but pineapple on pizza? No. No. You're, absolutely you're, not. You're an absolutely not person. Actually, I retract that. <laughs> I don't prefer it. I will eat it. Okay. I will eat it. I think it, I think it requires the ham to be banging, though. Yeah. To kind of offset that. Or bacon. So not, not a hard no, but I'm not a fan of it. Okay. I'll yeah. go with that. I mean, I enjoy a good old sweet chili chicken with a bit of pineapple. All right. No, and, and I don't judge you for that. I have I have <laughs> had pineapple on pizza and been like, this does not suck. So, yeah. I always find it interesting when people say... <coughs> I always find it interesting when people say that I hate pineapple on pizza. It's the worst thing ever. I I detest that you like that. You know, it's, I, no, I, it's I, I, crazy. I'm typically with food, I, I'm not... I don't really judge... <laughs> Like I like I I like all food for the most part. I have preferences, but yeah, I definitely if if you like food a certain way, then by all means, go yeah. for it. You do you. Exactly, it's food. It's delicious. We all love it. So, well, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find me pretty much anywhere um, on social media. But I, I use Instagram quite a bit. My handle is just at Will Overman. I am on Facebook as well. Just look up Will Overman Music and my page will pop up. I'm on Twitter. I think my handle there is Will Overman One. Um, I'm not as active on Twitter, but I need to be more active. Um, and then my website is www.willovermanmusic.com. And then as far as listening to my music, I'm on all streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Google, uh, you name it, I'm on it. And, um, yeah, like I said, if if you like my music and you're on those platforms, give me a follow, give me a like, share it up. And, um, if you really want to keep up with what I'm doing, follow me on Instagram. I post on my story quite a bit. It's, uh, mainly just pictures of my dog <laughs> and, um, us hiking and stuff like that. So if you're into that, um, give me a follow. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to click on the merchandise tab. You know, there's some fantastic T-shirts and koozies, and I love I love koozies personally. People here in the UK don't seem to have them much because we don't have much barbecue or pool type weather, so mm -hmm. we don't usually need to keep a can of beer or can of cold. soda cold. Yeah, but I do love the whole concept of koozies, and yours looks smart, especially like the royally bluey navy blue kind of koozie. There, oh, dude. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a, a coffee koozie care package. Oh, you are a legend. I'm I'm tempted to buy one of your hats as well. I'm... You let me know, Dom, and I'll 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 put it all together. I'll um I'll send you a nice little wad of cash over and I'll oh, um... just just send me some Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll I'll that, that that seems like an unfair trade, but I'll take it. <laughs> you do that and then when I can come tour over there you bring everyone you know and we'll be Oh, definitely. I'm even. I'm trying to push your music as far as I can now. This is it. Right on. Perfect. You'll be my promoter for the UK. 
thank you for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Don. And can you believe it's been two hours? No. Like you said, it flew by. Yeah, what I tend to say as well is um, at the start, before we actually do start the actual recording, is I'll always say, be prepared. It may take an hour. It could be two. It could be three. You know, time does fly. And it has flown tonight. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. No, I, I just looked up the clock. I had no idea. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. It's been great chatting. Like I say, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's stay in touch. And I really, I will, um, I'll email you. I'll get your address and I'll send some stuff over there. Thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you all next time. Bye for now. That was the Country Chat Podcast. Join Dom next time for exclusive interviews, reviews and general chit chats on all things country music.